In case you missed it, this is Palm Sunday. It's the uh, first day of the eight most critical days of the Christian year. In this, uh, these eight days, this week we call holy, we observe Christ's journey into Jerusalem and we participate in that journey, in this week, in all that he does, in his uh, uh, meal with the disciples, in his uh, humility at washing their feet, and in his betrayal, and in his crucifixion. In fact, in a little while at the end of this service, we will join with those who want him dead and proclaim that he should be crucified. I have to say, though, that uh, Palm Sunday I find troublesome problematic. We march around and we wave those silly palms. You know, I guess it, it's, I guess it's fun for some, but it is a little childish, don't you think, to be doing all that stuff? In fact, if you look at the text, you won't find reference to palms in there. Uh, it does show up in, in another version, but um, it, it talks about people throwing their garments around, but it doesn't in any event, this is the triumphant Jesus, and, I'm ha and I have trouble with the triumphant Jesus. The, the idea that somehow, that somehow Jesus is, is, uh, is, is a rock star in the midst of this, uh, in the midst of this uh, tumult. That right on, right on in majesty, yeah, sure. Somehow that's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is humble. The lesson from, the beautiful, beautiful lesson from uh, Philippians. He humbled himself. He became like a servant. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And here we have him, we, we glorify him in some sense in this, uh, he becomes larger than life. And that's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know is just one of us, except more than one of us. But why didn't he get a big white stallion and ride into town? This sort of pridefulness, or what may appear to be pridefulness, is just not right. I'm reminded of, a, uh, of the fable of the rooster in the barnyard. Perhaps you know it. The rooster, the young rooster, grew big and strong and fought all the other roosters in the barnyard for. Uh, for hegemony, for control over the place. And when he finally defeated the last rooster, he flew to the highest fence post and crowed loudly about his success, which attracted the attention of a nearby eagle. You got it. The moral of the story is pride goeth before a fall. Jesus is not about pridefulness. Jesus avoided the crowds. When they came to make his king, he disappeared more than once. There was an excellent uh, piece in the uh, New York Times last Sunday, perhaps you saw it in the opinion section, uh, written by uh, David Brooks called The uh, Moral Peril of uh, meritocracy. 
The Moral Peril of Meritocracy. Uh, it's a, um, abstracted, for, abstracted from a book that he's about to publish, I take it, a book which I will try to own. The thesis, uh, I'm not going to do it justice in these few minutes, but um, essentially the thesis as I understand it from that piece is this, that all of us, many of us, most of us, when we're young, we're told we're going to go, we've got to go out and make something of ourselves. We go out and make our mark on the world. We make a living. We, we, uh, we need to accomplish good things, big things. Need to, we need to make people sit up and listen, amass a fortune or amass a lot of, a lot of power or something. And we come to a place eventually, I think most people do, maybe not everyone, come to a place where that's just not working because the promise was if we did all those things, we'd be happy. And it turns out not to be true, we're not happy. And so either we get to the place where we realize we're not happy or, or it's not working at all and we stumble and we have to rethink life. Brooks calls that the first mountain and he says the second mountain comes when we have to rethink what we're up to, what really, really matters. He um, quotes um, Annie, uh, Annie Dillard, a piece from Annie Dillard who was a 20, late 20th century writer from Virginia uh, in which she says um, that uh, when we realize we're not happy with what we've done, we, 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 we look within, we look down. And she writes, we find that our deepest desires are found in that place where sciences cannot locate or name, the substrata or ocean or matrix that buoys the rest, which gives goodness the power for good, the unified field, our complex and inexplicable caring for one another. And this, says Brooks, is where the journey really begins. This is not about glory, laud, and honor. This is about a moral revolution that takes place within. When we come to realize that what really counts is that we, is when we learn to transcend ourselves to go beyond ourselves, to put the interests of others ahead of our own. So what does all that have to do with the triumphant, meritorious Jesus? How can, we, how, how can I come, how can I deal with this image? You can't ignore the story. It's in all four Gospels. And so all, each event, every, all four evangelists thought it was important. They all, they all write about it, which is more than you can say for the Lord's Prayer or for the Nativity story or for the parables. So we need to really think about this story if it's going to make sense to us. And I think that if we look more deeply, we'll see that it's really about, not about Jesus, but about the disciples.
the disciples, men and women who came from the sticks, from the lower Galilee, fishermen, ordinary people of the land, Southern Maryland, whatever you think, someplace not here, and came to town with their rabbi, their leader, their king. They want to take what they've learned and what they've seen and what they've heard to a larger stage. No longer a group of Galilean peasants. They now come to Jerusalem, Washington, to proclaim a king. And not a king on a great white stallion, but a king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's an audacious thing to do, perilous. You could get yourself killed for proclaiming a king in a place like that. Maybe they thought about that, maybe they didn't. But they were following the one whom they understood, knew more, shared more, gave his life in every way for them. We used to think of, we're used to thinking of Pentecost as the birthday of the church. But maybe it's not that at all. Maybe it's really Palm Sunday. Because on this day, the whole multitude of disciples, as broadly understood as we can understand that, proclaimed the presence of a new king, a new realm, God's realm. Somewhere outside the walls of Jerusalem, there's great excitement. There's a parade forming. People are gathering and heading into town. No longer content with, a, with just a personal relationship with Jesus. They want everybody to know how powerful and important a relationship with Jesus really is. This is the day when the church goes public. That's why we were outside. We were in the public, intentionally, because like them, we are his disciples too. And so it's okay if we wave our palms, I guess. It's okay if we sing, ride on, ride on in majesty, because we're out there proclaiming the power of Jesus and the good news of his gospel. So we add our voice to those voices. We sing our songs, wave our palms, because it's up to us. It's up to us to show what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's up to us to proclaim good news to the poor, release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, It's up to us to say he is the way and the most profound truth possible and the life that's better than any other life. 
So it's up to us to show the people out there what God really looks like in how we behave. Not so much with triumphal parades, I think. Not so much with that, but with the complex and seemingly inexplicable way in which we care for one another, in which we respect the dignity of one another, in which we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Congregation is invited to kneel as you are able.